Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Thank you very much to all of you who are returning to Lift Your Legacy. There has been kind of a quiet time over the summer, and we are super fired up now to be relaunching in, uh, in the new year. Uh, I am thrilled to have on a, an important person who's now partnering with me in Lift Your Legacy. His name is Mike Rosenfeld. He's an amazing coach out of Florida. And over the pa- next couple of weeks, we'll be unrolling and, and speaking more about some of the important work that we want to do to help others in terms of coaching work, in terms of the different pro- uh, services that we're putting out. And I encourage you to just get ready because it's going to be fantastic. Um, to kick off the program, I'm so excited to have Rabbi Simon Jacobson, who is a phenomenal resource, um, a longtime friend of the program, and someone who has made a tremendous impact in bringing the important work of self-development and Judaism to the greater world. Trevor Jacobson, thank you so much for joining us uh, back on the Lift Your Legacy podcast. Rosh Hashanah is upon us very, very soon. And it leads a lot of people somewhat feeling, depending on how you were raised, either terrified or um, concerned about the amount of time spent in synagogue. And as a person goes through the various stages of preparation or is thinking about how to prepare, how does a person approach the day and the whole concept of being able to kind of start fresh and plan things out? Well, in every journey, and I call this a journey because every new year is uh, new opportunities, new possibilities. So life's journey, think of it like uh, every journey has its legs. So from our point of view, as we conclude a year and start a new year, it's like the end of a leg of the journey or starting a new journey. So if you think of it like a journey, it makes it easier to plan. So how do you plan a journey? You have to look at the past and you have to plan for the future because you could set out with all the good intentions to go somewhere and you know your destination and your goals and objectives. But if you're weighed down by the baggage and of your past, which can be patterns and habits and old commitments and uh, just our routines, you won't get very far, which is why so many of us get inspired, but we can't maintain it because we just gravitate back to our old routines and status quo. So that's why I believe for someone to really be able to make change in life is, um, number one, you have to look at what is weighing you down and try to free yourself from those commitments or those uh, responsibilities and just like open up a new chapter and say, so you can let think in business. If you have bad business habits, you're not going to make your business grow if you continue doing the same old thing. So you need to look at it like from a, a fresh perspective. And then I believe it should always be done with details. It's very hard to say, I just want to be better or I want a better life. Be specific, identify one, two, three things max and say, these are the areas I want to focus on. And then this tremendous energy called Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and the Sukkot, this whole holiday season, is like uh, is energy that allows us to begin this journey on a new stage. That's my overall, um, gen- that's a general. So, so to dig strategy. in a little bit more specifically on that, you mentioned this concept of, of commitments 
and being able to sort of relieve yourselves of commitments and, and baggage and stuff like that. For a person that has, you know, the obligation to support a family, um, commitments that have been made, you know, in business or, you know, I, I don't know, like even like health commitments, stuff like that, like, how do you relieve? Because the challenge, of course, is that despite the spiritual energy that goes on during this time, a lot of us, like our lives somewhat seem similar. And the changes that we want to enact are like far away. So how do we, how do we like look at that transition from like, you know, we're really going to change because we're still going to wake up in the same body from our perspective in the same house and drink the same cup of coffee or whatever it might be on it on a, you know, the day after Russia shut us, so to speak. So the most important thing is never try to bite off more than you can chew. In other words, uh, if you try to change everything, nothing's going to happen. Secondly, we're not talking about changing, you know, life, uh, family responsibilities, a job. We have to be responsible people. So let's talk about specifics. Um, there are different forms of uh, blind spots and subjectivity that traps each one of us. The first thing is you need to identify what are the things that block you from any type of growth. It could be fear of uh, change. It could be psychological uh, ghosts that haunt us because we were invalidated as children. I mean, I'm just giving you a few of the usual suspects. So I think it's important to identify and use a mentor because it's hard sometimes to see on yourself your own blind spots and subjectivity. So find a mentor that can help identify, you know, here's something that blocks me. I'll just give you an example. I've been talking to someone who's been having difficulty finding their soulmate. Want to get married. And they've been trying everything in their mind. They came to see me recently. And I went through the different items. And I see the person has blocks. And this is, is, whoever she meets, she finds something wrong with. And the truth is she's afraid of emotional commitment, which people have. So, I, so that's, an identifi that's an identifiable entity. That doesn't mean you solve the problem, but you know, they say awareness of a problem is half the cure. If you don't have that awareness, then you're just going to repeat it again and again. So I would identify a few things that we feel like if I would say to you or to anyone, here would be my question. Tell me three things that you'd like to change. Like someone will say, I'm a pleaser. I cannot confront people. I can't confront my parents. I can't confront my spouse. I can't confront my colleagues. I want to be able to have more courage to be able to speak up. Great. Excellent. Number two, maybe I, uh, I'm not really living up to my potential. I'm afraid of, of success. I'm afraid of really doing something. I, I'm a conformist. I'm just giving you a few things. So I wouldn't go and when I talk about changing everything, your life is your life and you have family and you have responsibilities. But to identify certain elements that so-called block you from growth, that's definitely doable. That's what this whole month is about. Elul is a month of accounting and accountability where we look at ourselves. And I really, I, I use the business example because everyone can relate to that. Everyone knows at the end of a year or end of a quarter, end of a period, you need to have accountability. You need to say, okay, how did things go this year in my business? And then you say, why didn't it work? Oh, it didn't work because I made some mistakes and I was not ready to acknowledge my mistakes. So that is what I'm, I'm referring to identifying specifics, and then comes the second half, which is what, where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? And identify as well, a goals. But you can't, you can't bring new furniture into a house if you don't first clean up the dust, or else your furniture will get all dusty again. So you need... 
Am I, I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, hundred percent. And so you're advocating that, that the mentorship component is, is very critical when it comes to being able to figure out sort of where your blind spots are, because we can't necessarily figure that out. hundred percent. Look again, business, medicine, law. We go to lawyers, we go to doctors, we go to accountants, we go to consultants, experts, and they say, can you look at my entity, my business, my organization, and give me an assessment? What's the value that they have? Is they don't know it as well as you do, but they have the value of a fresh set of eyes. They'll look at it fresh and say, you know what? You're taking too much upon. For example, people always tell me, how do you, you know, you, you, you spread yourself too thin. You're doing too many things. Now, in your own mind, you don't always see that because you think you have 48 hours when it's only 24 hours in the day. You know what I mean? So, so what, what a mentor does, it helps you identify the places that you may not fully see. A real blind spot. That's a blind spot. That's what it comes down to. And it's always good. Even if you have a certain clarity, it's always good to run it by and say, someone, what do you think? And I always do this. And it's not always comfortable because sometimes you'll hear things you're not like, it's not what you want to hear. But I don't see a way around that if you're going to be an honest, sincere person. No one grows without that type of so-called, I would even say the word brutal, brutal analysis or evaluation. Um, in this case, every person has to find the areas in their lives. So everyone, everyone has issues. There's no question. Some people say, I'm bored. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I have no direction. I'm having difficulties with my spouse, difficulties with my children. Work, I don't like my work. You know, there's always areas to look at. And I, when my, my main thing I want to emphasize is that look at the, ho the holiday season, not just as a, ritual, a, re a religious ritual, which we escape to and eat an apple dipped in honey in Rosh Hashanah and go to synagogue, but actually as a personal renewal, as an opportunity to grow and renew your life. That changes the whole holiday season because then it's you. It's not just a story about... Uh, doing some tradition that, that out of guilt or out of superstition or out of making a deal with God, but it's actually an opportunity for you to start a new year in the fullest sense of the word. That's fantastic. So I, I, I wanted just to, to, to clarify the idea of even starting to work with a mentor or a coach or a someone that, that is going to hold you accountable and help you. You didn't even mention necessarily accountability. You mentioned just the idea to set out a basic plan for oneself. But do you see, I guess- well, I, I would include accountability. Okay, into, okay. Yeah, for sure. And, and does a person, is there a, is there a benefit to actually like in their mind saying, I'm going to listen to this person or I'm going to make this set? Or is it like, you know, because I think that one of the, the challenges perhaps of our, of our day and age is we are so surrounded by different experts on different kinds of things that, you know, you can really put together a book on anything, you know, spectacular with, with the, you know, the very best of people. And the problem is it becomes very detached and, and, and unpersonalized. And again, you wind up being like, you're like, well, I need this advice right now, not this advice. So how does the person sort of like hone in on the, the, on the right voice to pay attention to? And I'll throw in another question that many people have. They understand the value of a coach or a mentor. They say, but I can't find anyone. I don't have someone I trust or I don't have someone that really understands me. So it's, not, it's a challenge to find a mentor. So my answer is, there's always someone out there that you can help you. It may not be a coach or a mentor in every area of your life. It may be in certain areas. So look at it again as divide and conquer. Find the areas you want to work on. Try to get references. 
you may already have somebody in your life that is a little like an elder statesman or a type of veteran, like anything, like, you know, an incubator, like, like let's say you were opening up a shoe store. So you go to someone who's been in the shoe business for 20 years. You're, if you're opening up, um, you're going to write a book, speak to an author, speak to an agent. Find the areas that you want to grow in and then say, where are the people that are good at that? And then interview them in a way. And it doesn't have to be a formal interview and see if there's trust. You know, sometimes you speak to a rabbi, he may be very knowledgeable, but you don't feel that what he says resonates. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get you. Maybe even arrogant or maybe condescending or maybe too busy and distracted. So I see this as really as a type of like uh, trial and error, choose and pick. Don't, you know, I tell this to people all the time. They say, where can I find a good synagogue for Rosh Hashanah? I said, you're going to have to try a few until you find the right one. There's no such thing as, you know, it's like really like anything, but feel that you have the license and the freedom to explore. That's, that's so helpful because I think that people make it into such a huge deal. And it's like, you know, there's like a block, like the, the self and being able to understand the self has now become, you know, much more difficult than starting a, a business. And I think that it might, you might venture to say it's even more difficult because, you know, self-development is something that is a very hard thing that a lot of people don't start to address or, 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 or do successfully throughout their life unless it's really a, a main priority. Yeah. And, and you know something, one of the most underused resources are people very close to us. We sometimes go look a thousand miles away and start looking on the internet. It could be someone on your block. It could be someone in your shul. It could be someone in your family even. But too often we don't look close to close. Even a spouse can be a tremendous asset because she or he cares about you. So they may be a good person to run something by. Now, obviously it has to be an area that, that that's appropriate, but Sometimes it's a brother and a sister. It could be a parent. It can be a, a friend. Don't be, the key is that we have to be open to being able to hear another opinion and a perspective. And you don't have to open your heart up and just let everything um, out. You know, you can test the waters and see if you can trust a person. Trust is something you can pretty much pick up and start seeing, is this a person I feel has the humility, has the respect, and that, because uh, trust is, is vital in this. I mean, I know we didn't start talking about a mentor, but I'll just broaden the subject. Even the mere fact that we pray to God and that we go Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur to synagogue, it's not just what, what really is prayer and what means God. You're really connecting to a presence that's higher than yourself. You know, the opposite of God is ego. You're either worshiping yourself or you're worshiping something greater than yourself. And that's really comes down to. So in a very simple way, without going into the whole religious and theological uh, analysis of God, it comes down to that you are opening your heart to the one who created you, to something that's greater than you are, that put you here, that gave you purpose to life, that cares about you, but it's a relationship. And very often people don't even have that basic um, ABC in this relationship. That's why I'm connecting it. So a mentor obviously is a human mentor. But at the end of the day, the real connection that we have with God is also trying to find something greater than ourselves and our egos and our self-interest and a higher morality. Like, it's essentially... The, the, it's the same skill set, essentially. Exactly. Because it's, you, you could either be doing what's good for you, self-indulging, and, uh, and focusing on egocentric, or it could be God-centric, where you're focusing, what does God want of me? You know, selfish, my selfish voice says, take care of myself. My godly voice says, help another. I mean, to put it in very rudimentary, basic terms. Right, right. 
Now, one of the areas that I think is a big challenge for a lot of people, uh, I guess all of us, is that when we're dealing with, we're living in a lot of ways that is, we know some of the stuff that we are doing wrong. You know, let's say in a, in a business, in a business situation, a person is not, you know, conducting themselves with, you know, absolute, you know, straightness or whatever it is, but they're not deep down willing to give up the behavior. They're not really, you know, so we, we go into this process and there are glaring areas of one's life that unless they're completely like spiritually dead, they are still kind of aware they're doing wrong. You know, it's, it's, it's speaking badly about other people. It's whatever. Everyone's got their, everyone's got their, uh, their, their, their challenges. But how does a person approach an honest discussion with, with God? Like, I, meaning to say, like, we're switching it a little bit. You're saying pick three things. Let's say there's a really big thing that we can't necessarily work on or it, it, we can't say we're going to stop doing or whatever it might be. Like, how does, how does a person rectify the internal knowledge with still sort of being honest with themselves about going forward into, into the day. I'm not sure what you're asking. Uh, if you could maybe rephrase it, that's how we understand better. You're saying, how does the things we need to rectify not get in the way of what we need to be growing towards? Is that what no, you're the saying? Idea, the idea being that a person has certain areas in their life that they're not, they don't feel capable of, saying, okay, I'm going to do it better next time. Like I'm too, I'm too into this thing right now that I can't, I can't give it up. Right. So does a person then try to pick different parts of their lives to try to mitigate this, the small things? I okay. think that that's, that's okay, the big challenge. Okay. It's a very good question. I think the real, let me rephrase the question or reframe it. Thank you. The, the way I would frame the question is like this. Is this a battle I should fight or a battle I should not fight? You know, we have to choose our battles. And there, I think a mentor is, is a vital help because very often we convince ourselves, no, you know what? I just need to try harder. And in truth is you're just digging a deeper hole because you're not going to get there. And you're choosing a battle that is really either you're not capable of really winning at this point or just never capable. And you just chose something that's just an uphill. On the other hand, there are times we give up when we should be trying more. So how do we answer that question? How do we determine this thing that I'm looking for? Is it something I should be fighting for or something I should invest my energy elsewhere? And it's very hard to answer that yourself, especially if you've been fighting something for a long time. I'll use another example. For example, we talk about shidduchim again, marriage and soulmates. I know someone who decided that this and this woman is the one that he's going to marry. And she's not interested in him. And he says, no, love conquers all. He's convinced himself. Now, she's not married yet, but she's not interested. I know she's never going to be interested in him. He thinks he's just going to wear her down. She doesn't even want to date him. So he's become now obsessed. And as a friend of his, I tell him, it's time to give up. What are you waiting for? Once she gets married? Yeah, once she'll marry, then I'll. But I see. And there are times we sometimes invest in something in our own pride or whatever it is. Then there are times that people give up too quickly, and they should be fighting for it more. So I can't answer that question. It's case by case. And I think you should... Wait, make a list of the pros and cons to determine is this vital. For example, if you're not bringing enough income for your family. So it's very clear that that's something you need to correct. That's not an if or but. Question is now how to do it. What am I doing wrong? But that I would not say is an option. That's not an option. You can't say, you know what, I have, whatever I've tried till now hasn't worked, so I'm never going to make enough income. That's not, no. On the other hand, there are things that are optional. 
So I think I would list the pros and cons. What would make this a necessity in my life? Or maybe it's not. And then I would run it by. Nothing wrong with running by your spouse or a friend or a brother or a sister. And just say, what do you think? And they may say, I think you're missing something here. This is worth fighting for. Or they may say, it's not worth it. That's how I would respond. And that's the formula. And, and you have to apply it case by case. There's no black and white answer to this. Outstanding. Um, a final two questions just to, to, look, to look through this. For those who are more, more observant and are, you know, we're used to, depending on if you're Sephardi or Ashkenaz, like we have this thing called Slichos and we have the, the liturgy, the poems that were written, you know, many thousands of years ago in some cases that really try to frame the time as, as, as terrifying and as, as scary and punishment-based. And interestingly enough, that's, that's not what the original, like the original davening had and, and et cetera. So, so for, for so, so many people that kind of, as religious, religious people that grew up from a more traditional background that, are, that, that have this kind of overwhelming sense of terror, et cetera, going into it, do you find that productive? If so, how do you use it? And if not, how do you reframe it in light of all of the stuff that we're kind of like reading on a daily basis? I'm glad you're touching upon this. It'll be called the days of awe. And the awe is a far better word than fear and terror and trembling. So what you're touching on is what I would call a complete myth and stereotype. I don't know where it came from. But let's just, I'll just use a basic logic. God created the universe. He created each one of us. And we know God is good, not cruel. So to suggest that God created us with flaws, and we are flawed mortals and flawed human beings. He created us with flaws, and then once a year he's coming to get even and say, aha, I got you. It's ridiculous to even assume that God is cruel and a, some type of mean king in heaven waiting to strike us with lightning when we misbehave. I'd like anyone to give me a justification of such a God. It doesn't make any sense. He created us flawed, and then he comes and wants and beats us up for being flawed. Now, accountability is another story. I have accountability to my family. That's out of love. That's not because I'm terrified of them. So it is true on a very basic level, some people need fear of punishment as a deterrent. But that's not Judaism and Torah. Torah is about loving God. And when there's awe, Awe is not fear. Fear is when you tremble because there's a thief right behind you in the middle of the night and he may hurt you. Awe is a sense of respect of a God that's beyond us, almost a healthy shame. It's like, and I think there's only, there's a key word that tells you right away if guilt and fear, and as you said, terror, if it demoralizes you, rest assured it's coming from your Yetzirah. It's coming from your evil inclination. Because it's not doing anything for you. It's all it's doing is demoralizing you and not giving you any motivation to do anything. If it motivates you and it says, you know what? Healthy competition. I feel I can accomplish more and I'm driven. And I feel bad I didn't accomplish that much. And the next morning or immediately you go and do something, you know it's coming from a healthy place. And you'll see most fear, especially associated with religion and fear of punishment and terror, is demoralizing. It makes you feel like a schmata, like worthless. It makes you feel... Uh, full of, uh, you know, like damaged goods, empty, hopeless, resignation, depressed. All these are negative forces that are all part of actually the opposite of what this whole season is about. I'll just share one short story, which I love the story. 
it's Balshemtov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, once came into the synagogue Yom Kippur, and he hears the chazan, the cantor, he's singing a very festive song, and uh, you know it's a serious day, and he's thinking, okay, maybe he's reading about the the the, vi- the visage of the high priest when he came out of the holy of holies, so it's a very festive moment, uh, maybe he's reading whatever. No, he goes over and he sees no, he's reading the confession of the sins, al chet, where we talk about every sin, as you know, those sins, some of them are quite horrendous. And he's singing with such songs. So, he, so the Balshamtas thinks to himself, maybe something doesn't know what he's reading. You know, he just put a song, he stuck it to the words. It's like saying, sorry, God, for killing this person. Sorry, God, for this. I mean, he's singing a, 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 a Lebedika, you know, joy song. So after the prayer, he goes over to the chazan and says, I, can I, and I, you know, it was a beautiful prayer, but why was it, what was the simcha, the joy? And he said, look, different people have different jobs in the king's palace. Some people bring in the mail. Some people pair the food. Some people uh, deal with the taxes and the laws. Some people protect the king. My job is the janitor. I go and clean the dust up in the palace. And while I'm brushing and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, let's say mopping or mopping the floors or, um, or um, <clears throat> using a brush to clean it up, I sing a song. What greater joy is there to have the schuz, the merit, to clean up the dust in the king's palace. So by him al chet, was just cleaning up the house. Wow. So for this beautiful palace. Another person, Al-Ched, becomes this trembling before God. Look at the sins I did, sins I did. Frankly, a Jewish approach is we don't believe in original sin. Yes, human beings can sin and have sin, but sin is not our natural state. It's an aberration. That's why we call it tshuva. Tshuva means to return, not just to repent. Return means return to what? To your pure quintessential self, which transcends sin. So we have to clean up the dust, but the goal is there's a palace. That's why we're cleaning it up. There's accountability. If I love somebody and I wash myself and I take a shower and I want to look clean or I want to get rid of blemishes or my own psychological problems, that's a joyous moment. It's a joy that's somewhat of obviously um, clothed in a type of cleaning approach, but its goal is love, not the goal being pain or hurt. That's my uh, two cents on that. No, I think it's I think it's fantastic. The the one question that I would would ask is, you know, I think for so many people, again, depending on how we were raised and 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 everything like that, it it, it seems to come as a um, radical departure from perhaps how how one heard about or their initial you know, connections or, or maybe even in their, in their synagogue or, or the way that their rabbi is sort of talking about the day or the, their chazan. Again, if they're in a shul where the chazan is, is, is crying about the, uh, about the sins and they would feel they would much more, um, more productively connect to singing joyously about the sins, how does a person develop the self-confidence to essentially take their own religious path? Uh, that's a big question. Uh, you know, so let me say this. I'm quite familiar, and I'm not going to analyze now how did this, um, I would call, distorted attitude to sin and God and to religion seep into our system. Where people, many people associate religion with fear, with punitiveness, punishment, anger, guilt. You know, the whole Woody Allen uh, list of of, uh, neurosis associated with religion. But it's definitely false, has nothing to do with original Judaism. Uh, One of my theories is because it's easy, it's much easier to just scare people into a submission instead of being and it's almost a lazy approach by just you know threatening children 
hey, you don't do this, you're going to be punished. It's an easy way. As parents, we all know sometimes we just do that. But it's not the healthy way, and it's not the responsible way, and it's definitely not the godly way. So how does one build the confidence? You have to be around people who have this attitude. That's how it is. It ultimately rubs off because a lot of us are insecure. We say, you know what, if I start doing something new, I may go off the other extreme and and, uh, not follow the laws of the Torah. So I think you need to find kindred spirits that have this attitude. I think you have to read some good books that are Torah-based and approach it this way. Here, I have a book I did called 60 Days, A Spiritual Guide to the High Holidays. It's exactly one of the main reasons I did this. It's like a journey. Every day it's a workbook. And you can you know, send out an email every day and how I do an audio on WhatsApp and on the podcasts. It basically, it's a mindset and a heart set that is a healthy one when you approach these days of awe, which is about exactly what we're talking about. A, a, upbeat, motivating. This doesn't mean that we are pushing under the carpet our transgressions, but it's a different, completely different attitude. Um, now, I have to say, you know, other religious thoughts, without going into names, have also contaminated Jewish thinking because they are driven by guilt and driven by transgression and driven by a world of sin and devil and that you have to believe in a certain Jew to be redeemed. We don't believe that. We have access to God, your soul. Every morning we say, The soul that you have given me, God, is pure. Everyone says this. The biggest tzaddik, the great, most righteous person to the most wicked person. Because the soul always remains intact. Think of it like a healthy heart. The arteries can perhaps get clogged, but the heart is healthy. So now we have to clean up those, clean out those arteries, unclog them so we can reconnect to the God and the soul within each one of us. So you have to have the answer to your question. You have to find people, go online, read books. Don't, don't feel... Uh, trapped, that you're trapped in your life. There's plenty of good people that do understand this approach. And I really have seen in my own life, I've seen progress made. More and more people are starting to realize that this holiday is not just one, some type of guilt, neurosis, and built on a superstition. I'll make a deal with God for another year. Amazing. Rabbi, please tell us how do people find your WhatsApp group, the podcast, etc. Okay. So first of all, meaningfullive.com is our website. So everything is there. And uh, you can find 60 days and sign up there for a subscription, a daily email that you get. It's all free. The book, obviously, it costs money, but uh, the, the, the emails and the WhatsApp is, I'm going to give you the number right now, if you don't mind. I just looked it up. Yeah. Basically, put this number into your contact list. And um, just give me a moment. Here we are. Put it in your contact list and subscribe. And, and write, subscribe, your own phone number. Subscribe to here, 347-766-7558. Again, 347-766-7558. And write, subscribe with your phone number, text to that number. Keep that number in your contact list, and you'll start getting a daily audio that I'm actually recording on a daily basis. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, amazing, Rabbi. Should I have asked you, what, what else should I have asked you that I didn't? I, I think we covered a lot of ground for, think, for I, such an important uh, message and season. But we'll, we'll always continue. Think of this as one, uh, we take a little break between one discussion and the next. There's beautiful. always more. Beautiful. Rabbi, thank you so much for your time. I want to wish you a happy and sweet new year. Same to you and same to all your listeners. And you should be blessed. You should be blessed in your own personal life with a lot of success, all in good health. 
as well as reaching so many people with good messages and empowering messages to really change and improve people's lives. I mean, a great I mean, thank service. you so much. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another phenomenal interview from uh, Rabbi Jacobson. I hope that it increases your and enhances, increases and enhances the amount of joy that comes with the preparation for this special season. I wanted to take some time to tell you, uh, my, my audience, to whom you mean the world to me, uh, about the exciting addition to the Lift Your Legacy team, uh, Mr. Mike Rosenfeld, who's a coach. Um, he's a peak performance coach, motivational speaker, author, and bre breathwork therapist. A little tongue-tied, just let you know who's coming on. He works with professional athletes and CEOs to become the most powerful version of themselves. A little bit of background on Mike is that he is living proof that no matter what a person has been through, they can create a change and will promote a life of happiness and success. He's been deeply moved by the teachings of breathwork meditation, and yoga since 1998, drawn in by its holistic quality of unifying mind, heart, and spirit. As a young boy, as it was in my case, he would often ask the timeless questions of why am I here, what do I, what do, I do, how do I live the best life possible? So that's how Mike started his own signature method of using research-based best practices in coactive coaching, neurologistic, neuro that's a mouthful, programming, breathwork therapy, yoga, flow state psychology, and mindfulness to help people handle any situation with poise and ease. He's been a featured guest on the Oprah Winfrey show where he interviewed, he was interviewed by Maya Angelou and has appeared on Lifetime's network's The Balance Act. This year, Mike was featured alongside, alongside Shaquille O'Neal and Mike Ditka in Beyond the Game, a documentary to benefit athlete education and establish a legacy of well-being and financial literacy in the world of sports. He was also nominated as an outstanding volunteer for Men with Caring Hearts. So that's a little bit of his background, uh, but, but what really should come out to you, the listener, is that I think he will really round out and offer a lot of valuable insight, uh, it, both in terms of the content that he himself brings and the kind of questions that he brings to our guests. So I'm very excited to have Mike. Uh, God will, he'll be joining us for our next interview. And with no further ado, I wanted to wish you all a great day, a happy new year, and I appreciate so much your support. There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.